Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. If you are interested in understanding more on women's empowerment, sustainable coffee, or what it takes to lead impact in businesses, this podcast is for you. Melanie Landale has over a decade of experience working on coffee sustainability. She has worked on global standards in the sector. She's joined the UN International Trade Centre to support SME competitiveness in developing countries and has recently worked with Nespresso on their ambitious 2030 gender strategy. I am delighted to welcome you, Melanie, to this podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Ah, great to have you. Melanie, I wanted to start our conversation today. For those listening, I want to give them an opportunity to hear about what it's like actually working within a bigger business, trying to deliver sort of social good. So could you share with us perhaps what your average day or your average week looks like? Sure. At the moment, I guess, like for yeah, most other people to COVID, there's no traveling, there's no office. I'm simply sitting at my desk at home. And everything I do at the moment is uh, really related to moving Nespresso's 2030 gender strategy forward. So it's our global ambition to tackle the root causes of gender inequality in our supply chains. And to do so, one of the main areas of my work is to ensure that gender is integrated into all our strategies and projects. So I work with all my colleagues at the AAA Sustainable Quality Programs at Nespresso, as well as with our external partners. And uh, yeah, this looks <laughs> like the, at the moment, this looks like many calls, meetings, strategy works, trying to define KPIs on gender equality, on women's empowerment, together with thought partners. Sometimes I'm working with external consultants on the ground that can do what at the moment I can't do, travel to the field, interview farmers, interview cooperative leaders. And sometimes like right now, I'm also able to present our gender work and our our thoughts to the outside world, which I'm really happy about. So Melanie, I want to continue looking at and helping those who are listening to this podcast an understanding of what it is and, and why working for Nespresso might be super exciting. So what are the exciting, what, what's exciting you at the moment to be working on? So what I'm really excited about at the moment is to, as I mentioned earlier, to move Nespresso's 2030 global gender strategy forward. So the ambition is to tackle the root causes of gender inequality in our supply chains, which is quite ambitious, but we have already done quite some work in the past five years. We've developed certain tools, such as a gender analysis tool for coffee um, smallholder farming households. And these tools will help us reach this ambition. And what I'm excited about at the moment particularly is, I mentioned earlier that we are currently defining KPIs for the 2013 strategy. And yeah, any KPIs that have to do with women's empowerment, with gender equality, naturally ask about female farmers. And at the moment, didn't yeah until recently we didn't have a uniform approach um, on how to how to define female male farmers joint farming businesses, and that's something that I'm quite excited about because together with some thought partners we have found an approach that is pragmatic enough 
for a business uh, as us that works with over 120,000 farmers worldwide, but precise enough to allow us to also measure change over time. What we would like to see is, for example, male farmers that define um, <laughs> themselves as such to maybe in a few years' time say, oh, actually, you know what, we are actually a joint farming business because my wife is also a farmer. And this sounds, I mean, the question, how many female farmers do you work with, sounds very simple. But in reality, what we have are numbers of women that are registered within our supply chains. But so, for example, in one country, these might be 30% women. But we can't say these are the farmers because the 70% male farmers often also have wives that are often also involved in the coffee production. So that's why these women should also be considered farmers, right? Because otherwise they're invisible, their work on coffee is invisible, and we might not reach out to them as much as we should. There's a lot connected to this question. I think that's yeah what I'm excited about in gender in, in general, because seemingly simple questions, there's a lot of depth to it. And another work stream that I'm always excited to work on is our ongoing capacity strengthening program. This was developed for our over 400 agronomists worldwide. The program is called Catalyst for Gender Transformative Change. And this program is a direct outcome of the first gender analysis we did with the tool that I mentioned earlier. So we knew until then that agronomists naturally have a lot of influence over the farmers that farming communities and farmers um, usually highly respect the agronomist status, they bring knowledge, they give trainings, they sometimes bring inputs, etc. But we only through the gender analysis did we realize potential we have to bring about social change through our agronomists. So we sat together, and that was in 2018, 19, with um, our partner on this, which is the Kit Royal Tropical Institute in the Netherlands. They are really experts on gender theory, gender practice, participatory adult learning. And we co-designed a, a program for that is really, yeah, it's tailored for our agronomists. It translates abstract gender concepts into their daily reality. And yeah, the target is to, how do I put this? So the agronomists usually work, they come from the communities they work with. So what we are actually asking them is to reflect critically on their own culture, if you understand what I mean. And that's something that takes time. And this program, therefore, takes at minimum six months, which is quite long. Um, we have a team of regional gender experts and trainers who work with these agronomists and who mentor them over this process. And yeah, that's, that's a part of my work that I'm also really excited and to see progress and to roll it out in more countries at the moment there are seven countries where we're already rolling it out and um, three more in the planning but because the first module of this program is a participatory workshop that really lives off people being in the same room with the the trainer um, and because of covid we had to pause the, the rolling out but i hope we can pick it up again soon Wow, that's amazing. I'll try and I'll grab some links off you, Melanie, and we'll put the links into the words that sit alongside uh, this podcast in case anybody listening wants to follow up with that in incredible programme of training. Melanie, I want to ask, I'm always curious about the business case behind it. Like, Why bother? Why are you going to all this effort to try and create gender equality? Why is it important to your business? Gender equality is really important to our business. In the case of coffee, it's, it's quite clear. 
coffee is grown in rural areas of developing and emerging countries. And these are precisely the areas in which gender inequalities are the most severe and which women are discriminated against the most. So female coffee farmers really face severe constraints. There's a lack of access to land, uh, to inputs, finance, knowledge. Often women don't have the same ability to move around as freely as men have in these areas. Um, there's a lack of decision-making power. The list really goes on. But these constraints result in a gender gap in agronomic and economic outcomes. So for us, gender equality matters to our business because, first of all, it's a human rights issue. And to not provide women with equal opportunities, to not at least try tackle all forms of discrimination against them, is simply a violation of human rights. I think that's the first that we always have to be aware of. And secondly, for us, we know that gender is the cross-cutting issue for any human development objective. It doesn't matter if we want to reduce uh, farmers' poverty, if we want to improve um, children's access to education. No human development objective can be achieved without tackling gender inequalities. And that's something that's um, for us is very, very clear. Thank you for sharing that and, and important points. I wanted to just ask you, I mean, sitting at arguably a kind of vantage point within Nespresso, what are the trends that you're seeing that you think others should be aware of? Yeah, there are certain trends. One of them, for example, is that I think at least in coffee, I'm not sure about our other agricultural value chains, is that there is an acknowledgement that gender is an issue. However, <laughs> it comes parallelly with the term empowerment being, being used, I would say, rather loosely. I see um, a lot of uh, posts or articles about, for example, oh, um, we are empowering women and um, then it's about distributing cooking stoves. And that's something that I really wish everyone in this would be maybe a bit more aware of, if I can say so. What, how is um, girls' and women's empowerment actually defined? For example, for people maybe to realize that there's a difference between reaching women, women participating in trainings, and women benefiting from something and women being empowered. Because we maybe distribute a material item, that doesn't mean necessarily and automatically that there's empowerment going along with this. And that's something that I'm a little bit concerned about. And I wish others would be also as, as aware of as we're trying to be. Um, so we are really trying to, and we're not inventing these definitions. We're going with partners who have a long um, history of working on, on gender theory and practice and who have, have um, put a lot of thought into how girls and women's empowerment is defined. So we are taking their definitions and trying to build KPIs on this and trying to integrate this in our, our strategy and our work. So I think that's, that's one trend. Another one is maybe that in gender and agriculture, it's very, very clear that households are not uniform entities. And this is, yeah, obviously not only true for developing countries. This is true for, I, I would say, all our households, my own household or any household in, in rural Bavaria, you could say in Germany, um, that if you have a couple living there or the brother or parents, the more adults you have, the more complicated this gets. But even if you have a, a husband and a wife living in a household, it doesn't mean that they have the necessarily same interests, the same decision-making power, Etc. Etc. And I just wish again that this would be something that would spill over or reach other areas of work. For example, data collection. Sorry, I don't know how to describe it properly, but for example, when I 
encounters certain data or findings. And then I ask just a few questions. So how did you get this data? How did you, who asked questions? It's also something, a, a trend, if you say so, to, to acknowledge that data, the data collection process itself is not neutral. If we send a team of mainly male enumerators that haven't undergone any gender sensitization training and who may, might go and interview the so-called head of household, I think that's a trend that, again, I would like more people in the sector to be aware of, to, to understand that the data that we have and the findings are not neutral, but actually heavily uh, biased. And yeah, this is another trend, I guess. And maybe the last trend that I can think of that I wish others would be aware of, it's a bit gloomy, but sometimes I feel in regard to gender equality, especially maybe here in, in, in the Western world, is that people feel, oh, well, things are already going quite well with gender right because, you know, women can vote and go to school. So, um, Things as if you know, gender is something that we started, we pressed the button, and we are now on our journey, and things automatically progress. And I just would like as many people as possible to understand that that's not the case. Um, actually, the UNDP, you might be very aware of this, but they did a study last year in which they measured social trends and norms. And this study showed that almost 90% of people in, in this world have a bias against women. And in the study, you can also see they measure trends where they can. And these trends are actually quite negative. So that's also something to be very aware of. Or through COVID, we know that the situation for women has, has definitely not improved, et cetera, et cetera. So this is something that I think is, is an important trend to, to be concerned about. Yeah. Wow. But all of these things that you point out, I mean, they kind of make sense when you when you highlight them mainly. But I think it takes such a kind of expert who's working really closely with the subject to be able to recognise them and, and understand them. And I, I want to sort of delve into that expertise a little bit, Melanie. Can you share with us a little bit? And, and this is because actually sometimes people listening to this podcast are kind of on that career journey too. How do you get into this space? What's been your kind of career journey? And and what might be your advice to perhaps your own younger self embarking on your own career journey or somebody else who's sort of looking at theirs at the moment? In my case, I think I was probably lucky that through certain circumstances, relatively early in my career, over 10 years ago, I, I got a management coach or mentor. I'm not really sure what it would be called in English. But um, this person, um, she accompanied me in my career for a few years. The reason why I started working with her was that I found myself in a managerial position with responsibility for over 20 staff, uh, which I had never done before. I was a bit freaked out about it. I didn't know how to be a good you know, manager. And so I got a recommendation and started working with her. And this was really a game changer for me professionally, but also personally. And it's been a few years that we worked together, but still today, she's sometimes the voice in my head, like a compass, if you will. So I guess the advice I would give to my younger self would be, in general, I think yeah, not to be too hard on myself that a lot of things professionally I didn't know and I had to learn and that's totally fine. That's yeah, what mentors and coaches are for. I hope that a lot of people have the opportunity to get similar um, support or to, yeah, or to find it themselves. I think that's something that's quite um, important, especially for, if I yeah can say this, for young women. Another good advice to my younger self would probably be to maybe a bit earlier on understand 
what are the things that are under my control and which are the things that are not, you know, what is what's really worth spending time and energy on and what isn't. And I think in general, to be a bit more relaxed, a bit more confident. There's this, yeah, I see this quite often though. There's a, a certain stress to be perfect or a bit more, you know, to have your work be extremely good. But maybe, yeah, so it's a bit difficult to to give advice to myself because I, I felt like I had to prove myself more than my colleagues who were all male. I was um, the only woman in that position and at the time. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Please never apologize. And, and I don't think you're alone in that kind of imposter syndrome mm. or whatever they want to call yeah. it. Nowadays. But, and, and the idea of mentors and coaches, uh, likewise, that they're, they're so invaluable from my personal experience, just really important. And um, a little bit of a plug to anybody listening. We are, as Business Fights Poverty, we'll be doing our summer June conference and there'll be personal development sessions running throughout that with some fantastic coaches and mentors as well um, around. So do get connected and, and collaborate. That's what we're here for too. Melanie, fantastic advice there. Thank you. I am definitely taking notes in the background as well. My final question for our conversation today, how do you think people within business who are perhaps trying to create social impact can increase that impactfulness? Like what, what, are, the, what are your tips and hints? From my experience, it would be to acknowledge sometimes that things are complicated in, in this area of work, right? Um, because when we're talking about social sustainability issues, it is quite different to sometimes environmental sustainability issues where in the case of coffee, you can talk about shade trees and you can measure things and, and count uh, shade trees, et cetera, et cetera. It felt a bit easier <laughs> than social um, sustainability issues, which are, you know, we want to report success. And I talked about um, defining KPIs, but I think it would be very helpful to acknowledge that in regard to social change, progress is not always linear. It is not always straightforward. It can take time and for a company to allow this also to be reflected in KPIs. Yeah, another point that I find very important is to ask questions and then question the answers. I also recommend this to, I get a lot of questions. Um, there's the specialty coffee community which are, are really trying to do the right thing through something called direct trade and have relationships with farmers. And there's a lot of consumers, I think, yeah, and, and in the UK also, but also in Germany. And I get a lot of questions. So how do we, how can we advance gender at origin? Because we're a bit far. We don't have the same, we don't have agronomists like Nespresso does. We don't have the same budgets for sustainability, et cetera, et cetera. And the one thing that I can recommend is to ask questions, um, ask the importers, the exporters, ask, like, be, be annoying, um, ask questions and then again, question the answers, ask them, how did you get this information? Who's asking this? What is the method? I think that's at least something that as consumers, but also as, as this community within business, we can be more impactful by being, yeah, by wanting to know more and, and um, not how do I put this? When we get answers, not just be accepting them, but really question the answers also. Wow. On that mega piece of wisdom, I'm going to take that with me. Ask questions and question your answers. Melanie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today and for giving so generously uh, your time. It's been a fantastic and insightful conversation. Melanie, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. 
Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 